Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back. Welcome back. I hope everybody is doing well. It's Thursday. That means it's time for another Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. You got Ben and Brian here. And today we're going to be talking about streams. That's right, streams like small creeks and rivers, something that has impacted Ben and I from our childhood, something we've been uh, out teaching, doing some programs in the streams recently. But before we get into that, we've had some questions that have come up from our previous podcasts when we're talking about our programs, Mm -hmm. and maybe we just assumed what people knew what we did, or we thought we were explaining it well, but we've had a few questions come in regarding what do we do? What is meant to be outdoors? Our company do. We say we are an outdoor education company. Our mission is to connect people to the outdoors, others than themselves. What's a week look like? What's a daily uh, daily basis? What does one of our programs look like? What are we out doing every day, Ben? Yeah, like what we have coming up soon. Um, we work with p- parks and schools. Yeah. And so, an example, um, you know, we love to use experiential learning. And so we'll come in and we'll teach whatever criteria, curriculum, information that um, the school or park is requesting. Um, a couple examples is ranges from survival to biology um, mm-hmm. and everything in between, hunting, fishing, all that fun stuff. So whatever they're wanting, wanting and requesting. Um, but the experiential learning is the most important part for us. You know, we want to teach hands-on in the outdoors. And so there is a lot of information that can be obtained from a PowerPoint, you know, sitting in a classroom. But at some point you and I, I believe, have discovered that we have to get out and go physically see it, do it, experience it, learn it, live it, love it. Yeah. When you go outdoors, there's so much to be learned and gained um, without even really speaking or saying anything. Mm -hmm. We think that's important. Mm -hmm. So So that's just kind of a quick example. Um, You know, we are moving into the leadership as well. And so um, our audience ranges from, well, we've had third, uh, three-year-olds, but, you know, around kindergarten all the way up to um, adults. Yeah, people um, in leadership all ages. Roles. Yeah. 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 So that, I think that's that's a good sum. But if, if you do have questions or maybe thinking about hiring men to be for something or we can help in any way, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, our website. You can find our email and stuff on there. So let's jump into our topic. I've already mentioned streams. The program that really got us uh, our minds wrapped around, let's, let's do a podcast about streams, which may seem kind of weird to you guys, but streams are so important. We taught a stream ecology program for a group of, say, a group of students, but we had some parents in the class too, uh, which was really cool. Uh, we have the, Ben said, we welcome all ages. Now, sometimes we're going to specify this is just for homeschool between these ages, but for a lot of our programs, come yeah, one, come all, let's learn together. Most of our programs, we have them designed where um, everybody can participate somehow, mm-hmm. some way. You know, there are a few programs where um, we have to have the age cut off, but. We try to do our best to include everybody. Um, families so important to us, and, and if we can provide a, a program or opportunity to get younger and older together, that's that's key. Yeah, we're not letting three-year-olds in a class we have to use knives in, though. Unless unless Dad wants to come unless and help. Unless Dad's going to yeah. help him. Or right. Mom. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So this stream ecology program, which a lot of the so – we have a partnership with Springfield Parks, and a lot of their parks have beautiful streams flowing through them, so it makes awesome outdoor classrooms for us. And so really the basis of this program was that these participants would get a chance to look at what's in the stream. Some 
things that they probably didn't think were going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started in the classroom kind of getting their minds wrapped around what is a stream, what are some terms related to stream, watershed, water table, riparian zone, all of those things. And then we actually moved down to the stream, which is where the real fun began. Then uh, talk a little bit about the tools and how we're collecting, what we're looking for, and the things we found, what are they telling us? Yeah, so you were you started off by really helping the group understand the habitat, you know, what lives in it, where where are you going to find what? Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, the, the tools that we used, um, we used kick nets. So kick nets, there's all kinds of different sizes. We built our own. Um, yeah. We love to recycle. I actually had some kind of this screen, plastic screen. Um, I knew that it was small enough in micron diameter to, to catch anything that we could find in the water. So put those together, um, you know, tweezers, we use ice cube trays, um, things that, uh, we used white ice cube trays so that we could actually see those critters, um, a little better. And then a magnifying glass, you know, we're, we're looking at macro invertebrates, so you can see those with the eye, but they're pretty tiny, especially for, for my older age. Uh, a magnifying glass is very helpful to, to really be able to see the, the critter. Right. And what's really cool about a stream, the diversity that's there, especially in a healthy stream, maybe a stream that's only 10 feet wide, you can stand on one side that has, we'll call it current or good flow. And on the other side where the flow is kind of passing it by, or it's an eddy and it's calm. And you're going to find so many different species just 10 feet apart because of the flow of the water. Um, but when you start talking about macroinvertebrates, you know, if you're just walking through a stream or maybe sitting in the lawn chair on the bank, you're not even really considering all those organisms that live there. But you start stirring up that gravel, stirring up that riverbed, letting things flow into your kick net, and you bring that kick net out. It's like you open the envelope to a whole new world. Yeah, let's explain that just a little bit. So, you know, a kick net, you're not kicking the net, but you are disturbing the ground or actually would be the the, the riverbed. The riverbed, you know, you're in the water and you're disturbing that ground, moving rocks, rubbing the rocks, uh, even kind of kicking your feet to stir all that up so that the water then moves that through the net so that you can actually catch. Um, a bigger idea would be, you know, when you and I go bass fishing. Yeah. And, you know, you don't hardly catch bass very often. So when I catch a big bass, you have to get the net. And when you're grabbing that big net, you scoop that big fish up. It's the same idea, but at a smaller level. We're really trying to catch whatever critters are in there. Let's tell the real story. You fish on <laughs> six-pound tests for everything, so no matter how how big they are, I got to get the net. That's right? right. That's right. So yes, it really we're trying to um, we're not trying to harm these organisms, but you're just kind of disturbing them, and you're letting the flow of the stream take them into the net. Then mm-hmm. you can take that net, that kick net to the to the bank. That's where the fun begins. You it get your is. tweezers. Yeah. Get down on your hands and knees, and you just start looking for movement. Um, and then as you're finding these things, you're picking them up with your te- tweezers, putting them in the ice tray. You've got a little water in your white ice tray, which really provides that contrast so you mm-hmm. can see these invertebrates that you're putting in there. And you collect, collect. Um, we had uh, one group that their first kick with the kick net, I mean, they had hordes and hordes of organisms that they brought up. It was so cool to see their excitement. Well, that group started on the left side. And the right. other group started on the right. Of the stream. Of the stream. Yep. And there was a huge difference on what we found. Yeah, the one group found mm-hmm. a lot. Um, but you talked about invertebrates. Can you clarify for people out there what what are those invertebrates that we're finding looking for um, well, in the water? In its simplest form, the definition of invertebrate means that they do not have a spine. So most of these have exoskeletons. So they're covered in you know a hard outer layer. Um, so... The most common one that everybody's going to know is a crawdad, crawfish, crayfish, however you want to say it. 
but that's going to be your most common one, which we did find quite a few of those. Um, there's going to be larvae that you find. You're going to have minnows that come up, which would be an, a vertebrate, but you're going to have some that come up in your in your net. Um, all of your caddisflies, mayflies, all of those things. Um, Hellgrammets, which are going to be larval stages of some of your bigger flies. All of these, some of them kind of look like aliens, like they alien look, versus predator. They look kind of creepy, yeah. You're right. Yeah. That's true. Um, but what's really cool is the diversity um, in all of those stream invertebrates can be so great that it's hard to know what they all are. And some of them are going to be similar. So we always have um, materials there. That's half the fun after they've separated them all out and got them in the ice trays is taking those ice trays over to, we set up a table, kind of an ID station and they can take their magnifying glasses and all of these um, ID kits that we have. So they can start referencing, cross-referencing these worksheets and what they found. But, they're not doing that just for fun. There is some importance and a story to tell with that. Why would we even want to know what they are, Ben? Well, life gives life. So life lets us know how how, how much life's living there. The right. water quality itself. If the water quality is not great, then some of these critters, some of these invertebrates would not be able to, to live. They wouldn't live there. They wouldn't be able to survive. Right. So when you're, when you're looking for macroinvertebrates in a stream... Um, there's no what's known as pollution indicators. So as you're identifying all of these macroinvertebrates, they're put into classification. So you've got group one, group two, group three, group four. Group one being that if these macroinvertebrates in group one are present, that means that stream is very healthy. There are very few pollutants in it. Um, not saying that you would want to immediately go drink that water, but that stream is going to be full of life. If you have those level um, those base food chain level macroinvertebrates present, then you're going to have fish and birds and healthy aquatic plants. So that means there's nutrients present, there's light present, there's oxygen present. All the things that you're looking for for a healthy stream are present there. And humans really haven't had their detrimental impact like we have on a lot of streams. Um, what was really cool about this program, we were in the city and we found level one macroinvertebrates which means that was a healthy stream in a urban area so kudos to the city of springfield missouri for whatever systems they have in place to protect that stream definitely and that was the cool part is we didn't know what we would find we Had didn't know if we had no find idea this. yeah and so going out and actually finding it that it is a healthy yep. section of the stream was was very rewarding and yeah. It was cool to see the the group the the group that we had. They were excited. They they live in that area. They've man, actually a couple of them uh, walk it a lot, walk and play and, and use it. And so we had um, one student who had just graduated high school, and he stated that he had played in the stream and walked up and down the stream. He just lived a few blocks away his whole life, um, and he didn't realize how healthy the stream was because he would have guessed that it was not that healthy, and then he didn't realize all the things that lived there. So it's just really kind of eye-opening to understand all the organisms that you are sharing this life with. Um, they're right there. He'd walked on top of them and swam with them for years and didn't know they were there. But just to come out and do this program with some simple tools really opened his eyes. As far as the pollution indicating organisms, just to give everybody kind of a frame of reference, um, the most well-known macroinvertebrate that you're going to find in a lot of these programs, I've already stated, is a crawdad. Uh, they are level two. So if crawdads are present, generally you have a, a decently healthy stream. Um, but 
level ones, we did fine. We mm-hmm. obviously found a lot of crawdads too. That Those was probably the most popular yeah. thing. Um, but people's biggest takeaway, as Ben is kind of trying to say, is they didn't realize, one, that what we were going to find indicated stream health. Mm-hmm. Two, they were so amazed that this stream was a level one, that it was a healthy stream. They were so amazed. Um, so we kind of, I took a moment after that as I kind of see that that's what they're taking away to point out things to me that indicated that we may be dealing with a healthy stream before we ever really got in to see what we were going to find. Um, and so when you're considering a healthy stream, there's some easy things to look at. One, you're going to look at the riparian zone. The riparian zone is going to be, you're looking at vegetation. So where the stream ends right there at the bank, all the way up to where they, what they call the highland begins, which is going to be where your conifers and things start like that. So going to start at your stream bank and you're going to look at what's present. What kind of vegetation is present? Is it just grass? Is it a cut hay field? Do you have a nice transition of willows and sedges into bushes, into trees? Um, Whether it's dogwoods or cottonwoods, (laughs) sycamores, are those uh, bigger woody plant species present? Or is it a mowed hay field all the way up to to the river's edge? You're looking for that contrast. Um, between zones. If there's a healthy riparian zone, you're going to have that transition from your grasses at your river's edge to woody plants like bushes and sedges and hedges, and then your bigger woody plants after that, like sycamore trees that Ben mentioned, and then after that you're going to go into your highland ground. What happens if all these are present? One, you're limiting erosion. You are uh, limiting runoff. So all these plants are blocking a lot of runoff. You're not getting huge runoff streams. If there are nasty things in the runoff, they are filtering that mm-hmm. with all their roots and the soil and things that are present there. And they're also offering shade for that stream as well. So shade is important because you need plants growing in that stream. And you also need cooler water for dissolved oxygen. Dissolved oxygen is a huge thing because Everything needs oxygen to live. And so, so right now, the, the so what you've covered, honestly, is like the flow. So you have right. the flow of your stream. We also have the riparian zone. That's so important. Mm-hmm. You have the, the temperature of the water. And the temperature of the water you're talking about, it's important because of how much oxygen is in the water or right. not. Right. So dissolved oxygen and temperature are diversely, or excuse me, indirectly proportionate, meaning... As your water temperature goes down, so as the water gets colder, your amount of dissolved oxygen goes up. So cold water is good for a stream. So when you get in in August and you go, oh my gosh, that's so cold, that is a good thing. That is a good thing. That means you've got springs. Well, good, good for who? Because <laughs> it hurts me. It does. That's kind of refreshing on a 99 <laughs> yeah, degree yeah, day right, in, right. in Missouri. But it's good for the animals. It's good for the plants right. that live there because oxygen um, is the source. So. When you start talking about oxygen, you kind of have to think about if there's life there, that means there's energy there. So what is the source of energy for a stream? There has to be energy present for life to be present. Where does energy even begin in a stream? And that is what you asked them. You know, you right. talked about that's one of the first questions you asked. And, and they were they were on it. They knew a lot of the information, and, and they, which they said solar, but mm-hmm. we're talking about the sun. It comes from the sun. So mm-hmm. that energy is going to come from the sun. It's going to be... Uh, kind of taken on by the algae or the plants that are growing in the stream or even the plants that are growing along the stream because they're going to be dropping their living material, whether it's fruit 
or nuts or leaves or twigs is going to be dropping into the stream so you're going to have that energy present there as well and then you've got your whole food chain that takes that takes that energy all the way up to humans right so it, it starts small with plankton and goes all the way up to us and if we can go back for just a second um you know we were talking about streams um could you help clarify like what a stream is um you know when we obviously a lot of us as we're driving to work going to the stores you know we may be passing over waterways mm-hmm. but we don't get to spend a lot of time in water but we'll see that water um you know you also talked about the health uh who it impacts who lives in it yeah um so kind of help us to understand what is a stream because is there more water than just what we see right there that we can see as we're driving over it or, or splashing in it yeah it, it's kind of like the when you think of um, the Titanic hitting the glacier, you know, when you think of a uh, a glacier, you you've got only the tip of or the iceberg, excuse me. You've only you've only seen the tip of the iceberg, mm-hmm. and the majority of that is where underground under, under the water, water right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing with a stream. A stream is just the tip of the iceberg. A stream is the expression of the water table above ground. So where is every stream located? At the lowest point of the landscape, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to be the first place that the water table is expressed. And the water table is where most of our fresh water on Earth exists. And that is underground where you can't see it. So as the water table is full and coming up and the ground or the uh, the landscape is low, where those two meet is where you have a stream. That's where the water is expressed. Um, does that kind of answer no, your that, question? Yeah, that definitely helps because, you know, when we talk about why is water important when we talk about um where do we get our water from Mm -hmm. you know a lot of people understand that we get it from you know wells there's people listening that that get their their water from a well right so Um, a well however many 50 100 200 some here in the ozarks are as deep as 600 feet they're going down they're not close to where water is expressed above ground so you're drilling down through the earth and reaching the water table and that water is clean to drink because there is no sun. Sun. There is right. no energy. Right. So there is no life present. There aren't the bacteria and viruses and all that. So that water is ready to drink. So we've talked about pollution and the indicators, right? So what impacts do humans have on streams? Because if we're going to go out and use them, we need to understand the things that we're doing to them. You know, the first impact that I can think of, um, it was actually from the program we ran the other day. We found the, the level ones, uh-huh. um, you know, the macroinvertebrates that can live there. It's healthy enough for them to live there. But when you looked around on each side, looking on the bank, there was a lot of trash. There was trash everywhere. A lot of trash. And so that's why I was shocked to find that, that the it was as healthy as it was just right. because of how much trash. Now, I know trash is carried by, you know, two things, one wind and, and water. Wind so and water, water's yeah. going to catch it and move it, but the wind's going to get it to the water most of the time. Correct. And so you could see that the riparian zone where we were at actually collected a lot of that trash before it even got in the water. So I thought that was really cool. It did. Yeah, it caught a lot of that trash. So it was keeping it out of the water. So most of the trash we were seeing wasn't actually in the water. Correct. It was up on the bank or in the riparian the zone. Because this stream did have a healthy riparian zone. Mm-hmm. It really did. You actually had um, leading up to where the woody plant material started, you had an area that they had prescribed fired. So you had a whole bunch of big, tall, beautiful native plant material. And then you had your woody plant material that started all of your native trees. 
Um, and then there was some small grasses and sedges right along the bank. So it had I've got a a, I've got to tell everybody real quick that, you know, I've known you for a while, for a long time. And I see Brian geek out a few times, but <laughs> they did a prescribed burn. And every time we've been to this area, he's always wanted to see what it looks like. Because he loves prescribed burns because he understands and knows the importance of it. And so what I'm saying geeking out is, is it's already grown back by now. It's grown back. Uh, it's luscious. Um, but there was a moment where you stood next to it and you were just like, no words. Yeah. Just staring at this, what you call a healthy, now a healthy, healthier um, strip of what looked to me like grass. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it make, makes you're my geeking heart, out, man. <laughs> makes my heart happy because as I as I look out there, you know, um, surrounding that are are hay fields and and they're full of of matting grasses, of, of fescue and orchard grass and things that aren't really usable for wildlife. And then they've got this big wide strip that they've burned, and it's just it was the first time they burned it, and it was just full of of all kinds of native woody plant species, mm-hmm. of forbs, of browse, um, big uh, big uh, clumpy bushy. Uh, there was bluegrass in there. It was just, it was beautiful. And you could see the separation of the grasses. Um, so when you have your native plants, there's room for your wildlife, for your turkey poults and your fawns um, and your quail to run in between these to, to eat and to take cover. And then you look at the fescue field next to it and it's like, well, I couldn't even walk there if I wanted to. So how could the wildlife use it? So right. it does make my heart happy just to think about how happy the ecosystem and the wildlife are because of a prescribed fire. But well, but then also be able to educate those people with us to show them that really the experiential learning side that look what we did, look what they did here mm-hmm. and look at the water quality right down here below it. It impacts the stream. Absolutely. Correct. It impacts the stream. That's, that's, that's what's crazy is that healthy habitat impacts the whole environment, all of the ecosystem there. So we call this stream ecology, and ecology really is the relationship of the organisms between each other and their environment. And so that's what we want people to understand is all of the plants, all of the animals that are living out there, whether they are invasive, native, or not, they have a relationship just like you and I have to have a relationship if we're if we're living together. Um, and if it's a healthy relationship, then it's going to be a healthy habitat. If it's not, then it's not going to be healthy. Mm-hmm. It's that's pretty good. simple, but it really comes down to understanding what's supposed to be there and what's not supposed to be there. You betcha. So how do you then believe, Brian? I mean, you're very knowledgeable in this, and and I can definitely tell your passion. Um, how do we as humans use streams? Is there a um, – do we really even need streams? Is that something that you and I truly even need? Well, I, I wouldn't call it a need, but I, I would say that we use it in many ways. We recreate in it, Right. We do, yeah. We've if you, even talked if you a little listen about to our that. intro podcast or, or me talking about an earlier podcast about getting started fishing, that was in a stream. We recreate, we, we go out and we fish. We get food there. We all the time here in the Ozarks where we live. You just did it last weekend. What'd you guys do on a Sunday when you needed something to do? We actually went to the creek. You took your kids down to the to the creek to we the did, stream to hang out yeah. and have fun and play. Um, whether it's just getting a suntan in a lawn chair. Whether it's drinking a, a ice cold glass of sweet tea and having a sandwich, or or enjoying the cold water, there's something so special about a, a cold, clear, flowing stream. And if where we're at, they're they're really popular. And if you've ever spent time on one, um, then you know uh, how much fun it can be. I've heard you say many times because we talk about fishing and being out on the lake, and and 
you love to say, well, I'm a river rat. I love the creek. Um, as a matter of fact, what's your son's middle name? That's, that is what I was going <laughs> to add right there was that uh, I named my son um, Creek. Yeah, uh, his middle name's Creek. That's how um, impactful time on the creek's been to you. Well, it's been so impactful. I mean, my my birthday's in July, so most time we'd celebrate birthday, or when I would celebrate my birthday, would be out of school, mm-hmm. summer months. And so uh, me and my friends, we would have birthday parties at the creek. And, I mean, those memories are still with me. I yeah. remember us being out and, and from fishing to snorkeling to even doing what we we just did the other day but not even knowing i was doing that you know that's something that just exploring yeah exploring but that's something that that everyone listening can can go do with their kids there are so many little creeks and and places that you can go you don't have to buy all this expensive equipment well where we grew up i mean for the most part was i'm not going to call it a poor area but it was rural Mm -hmm. um and most people were middle class or lower so there wasn't a lot of money for bounce house parties and all this stuff so yeah. we did have to have uh parties in the stream that's and what that's we did, what we did. that's and what we great. roasted hot dogs and ate birthday cake and yeah. we knew no better and and don't regret it now no regret at all but you know buying even a, a little green net you can do very something very similar to what we did at a smaller scale just to try to find mm-hmm. all the little critters that are in there and, and play and explore um you can definitely do that with your with your kiddos but to really answer your question about humans and streams we impact streams we pollute streams from chemical runoff, um, oil spills, um, farming impact streams in a huge way. I've already mentioned um, people that have hay fields or agricultural crops right up to the stream. If you've ever been on a paddling trip down a river or stream and you've seen where a farmer's property comes up to the stream and they have farmed all the way up to that, you come back the next year and that river has taken some of their field or some of their pasture. And then next year even more and you get this big cut out bank and sometimes it cuts so much out that it makes an oxbow lake where the river really reroutes itself makes a little lake and that's not good i mean the river is literally taking land it's taking land that the farmer owns and all the herbicides all the fertilizers everything they put on that farmland is going right into the river because there's nothing to block it nothing to stop the runoff nothing to filter it so they should leave a healthy riparian zone they should leave a buffer they should leave 50, 100, mm, 300 yards mm-hmm. of plant material, woody plants, the sycamores, the native things that would grow there. Just leave it there. Leave 50 yards, give it up for the sake of the planet, and farm the rest of it. That's really good. So we do impact it. Farming has a right. huge one because I mentioned the herbicides and, and uh, fertilizers. So those go right into the stream and can cause huge al- algae blooms or kill all kinds of native things. Uh, that can affect that ecosystem all the way up to the fish. So we do affect it. We recreate in it. But what makes a healthy stream is clear water, a healthy pH, uh, cool water. Um, and when we're talking about a healthy pH, we're talking about 7, which is neutral. We're not getting the acids or bases. It's going to deviate a little bit, a point, a point into the basic or a point into the acidic. But once you start getting more than that, then it's not a healthy stream. But you want cold water. You want a healthy riparian zone. You want clear water, um, just a little bit of algae, not big algae blooms, and that and the healthy pH. That's what you really want from a healthy stream. An example of the healthy algae that we found was it, was it was on the rocks. Right. You know, it was on the rocks. It wasn't floating up in wads and masses, you know, floating along the top. It was it was attached to something, and but it was still present. It Correct. was there. Yeah. Correct. So we really don't need streams per se, but we use them, right? And I'm going to say we don't need them. Because 
we as humans, we can take any water source and drink it. I mean, our sewage goes to a water treatment plant, and you know where the water from our poop and pee goes after the water treatment plant? Back in. Into the stream that we just did the study in. Yep. Back so in the stream. we have advanced so much that we can clean this water all the way down to a level that makes it level one pollution that these sensitive, sensitive organisms can live in it. In college, we did a study. Um, we studied the outflow, what was coming out of this water treatment plant. And it was nearly perfect. The only thing that we found left in this water was were some pharmaceuticals, some medicine um, that they haven't quite been able to figure out how to remove yet, uh, antibiotics and things like that. Mm. Other than that, clean, clean, clean. That's awesome. So we can take the dirtiest, nastiest, literally poop and pee water and purify it and filter it and make it drinkable for humans. So we don't necessarily need streams for drinking. However, the animals do. Right. The fish, the zooplankton, the, the phytoplankton, the crawfish, everything you can think of needs that stream. And we need those fish and those crawdads. We need all of that stuff because we start, we start eliminating these ecosystems and now it's going to affect the things that we do need. And also, God gave us dominion over the plants and the animals, so we have a responsibility. With dominion comes responsibility, um, and I really think that's where the word conservation comes in, which is the wise use of these resources. Emphasize wise and use. So we are to use them, but we need to do it wisely. Um, and I think that's where the responsibility of dominion and comes in. Well, it absolutely comes from there. That'd be Genesis 26. Um I even have it right here. It says, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Mm-hmm. When I first read that, the reason it's powerful for me is because yeah, wow. for a while I didn't understand the authority that we had, you know, the, the, the impact, the power, the dominion that we have over what's been given. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I was younger, people would be like, you know, don't pour your... X, Y, and Z in the creek and, and in the springs and all that, take care of the land. But it never really hit me until I understood that it is my responsibility because of the dominion that's been placed over us. And that's, no matter if you're a farmer or someone that works in the city that, that doesn't use land or, or hardly ever going to the creek, we all have dominion over those things. And it's so important for us to take care of it because if we don't... Who's going to? Who's going to? Right. And that dominion is, is the key. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, when we teach a program... The first thing we start every program with, we call it our code of honor. And the first part of that is respect. So we really need to respect ourselves because if we can't do that, then we can't go down and respect the the fish and the crawfish and the stream. But that's really what it comes down to, though. Why should we care about water quality? Why should we care about stream quality? And it's respect. Mm -hmm. It's respect for those things. It's respect for the things that God gave us. Mm -hmm. It really is. Absolutely. Well, and and even on the most shallowest, we're talking about water, shallow here, the shallowest example is that we need it. Like, <laughs> oh, that we, wasn't a pun. We, that was no, a no, pun? no. But I mean, we need it for for all the things we've been talking about and we doing do. from just the basis of recreation, going and playing and enjoying it. Right. Um, it's so healthy for you. So. And and I don't want you to take this wrong when I say we we don't need it because you some of you are probably going well. We drink it every day. It's in what we cook with. It's in every drink that we have. Of course, we need water. Our bodies are more water than anything. There's more water on Earth than any other thing on Earth. What I'm saying is, is that we as humans are able to take any water and make it make it drinkable. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't want you, even in a level one stream, to go down there and just drink it. 
you need to you need to purify it. You need to boil it, um, kill all the uh, bacteria and viruses that are in there, right? Yes. Um, so I, I don't want you to think I'm saying we don't need water, but I'm saying humans are are, are so capable that. If we had the dirtiest, nastiest water on earth, we could still make it drinkable for us. Right. And so. in that process, you've talked about it a couple of times, and I just want to share a little bit in that uh, you've used the words purification and filtration. Yeah, I didn't really ever define those too well, did Well, I? And, and when we teach survival, there is a difference when you're going to go out um, backpacking or hiking and you're wanting to use that water. There's it's, import- a, it's important to know the difference. There's a huge difference, and it can, get, it can cause harm um, if you don't use it correctly, just like all the other tools we've been talking about. But... Purification, you're, you're literally killing anything that's in it, mm-hmm. you know, and there's different devices to use, um, applications. There's chemicals. Which is what a, a municipality, a city is going to do. Yeah. Um, so they're going to take water from lakes and streams, and they're going to put it through a treatment center, and they're going to use chemicals. They're going to add chlorine and all this stuff to it to make sure that it's purified and killed. Mm-hmm. And some of us backpackers, there's also iodine, tablets to, um, there's a lot of different resources out there now, but... You're using those chemicals to purify. You're killing it. It may still be in there when you drink it, but it's dead. It's, the simplest it's dead. form of purification is boiling for three minutes. Right. And and you'll see that in a lot of cities that may think that their water tower's got something going on. Boil you know, order. They're going to yeah. place a boil order. And so that is the, the basic, right? So when we even teach survival, any of that water needs to be boiled before you drink it. That's going to purify it. But filtration, that isn't purifying. No. You're not purifying the water. You're trying to filter out the things that are living in it. And that's when you get into the micron size. You know, you're talking about does your filters that you have, are they small enough in microns to catch these small enough micron size? Which is going to be your viruses. Your viruses. So viruses, Brian, what are what are my microns for our, our viruses? So your viruses are, uh, let's see, 0.004 yep, to 0.1 microns. Right. That's tiny. <laughs> so tiny. You're not seeing that with your naked eye. Right. I think... I think when we were we teaching this before, I think the human hair is like 50 to 100 microns. So think about that. You can feel that. You can touch that. You're um, saying hair, like hair on your head? Yeah, hair on your head, right? That's going to be like the small end of 50 microns, but you can still feel it. And when yeah. you get down there to the viruses, we can't see it. Point we can't zero feel zero it. Zero four. And there are filters out there that, that they say will filter that so that you can still drink it. They're not cheap. They're not cheap, yep. you know? And then you also have to take be very, very cautious when you're doing that because once you're done... Where do you think all of uh, the viruses and bacteria that you've trapped, where is it at? Right. It's inside the it's device inside you there. used. And so making sure you're really taking care of that after you're done on that trip. But I know we're getting on a tangent on all of that, but it's so important to, to understand that that the, we rely on water. Right. And when you're out using the water, water can make us sick. And so there's, again, what we talked about, there's ways to, to keep that from getting into your system whether it be purification or filtration. Well, you know, I love stories and I love to tell stories. So a story to go along with that, uh, our streams and rivers around municipalities often have sewers either running parallel to them or through them, and you don't know they're there unless you see um, a green indicator. Anytime you see green paint, green lid, green post, that means sewer, sanitary sewer, poop and pee. Um, The reason they're always so close together is our sewer systems, for the most part, are gravity. Uh, they, they work off gravity. They're built and engineered that poop and pee starts at the top, and it flows downhill. Mm-hmm. Where are our streams? They're always at the lowest part. Remember, a stream is that expression of the water table, and it's going to happen at the lowest point of elevation and the highest point of the water table. So oftentimes, our sewer systems and our streams are coinciding. So 
we had a program recently and it was a beautiful stream i mean as clear as could be beautiful riparian zone everything that you could think of to make a healthy stream we were scared to just filter out of it and drink we if we were going to drink out of it we were only going to to boil um, to purify that water to drink because um if there was any void in that sewer system then there's going to be some nasty stuff in that water so that's just something to to think about when you um are around in parks and stuff around some of your bigger cities yeah where the fear came from was that we wanted to just filter it and drink it yeah and that's why we had that fear was because even though you filter it we're talking about e coli we're talking about viruses here we knew some of the viruses could could sneak through it could it it could with some of the filters we had and so we weren't going to risk it we weren't going to take a chance with this group we would have had to purify it so that we knew that it was good to go before we we yep took it in so absolutely you know there is a difference it's so you know the reason we like to teach that is because we have had um, students in the past honestly think they're the same thing and think that you can grab a a filter in a tube and drink it you know suck it right out of the creek you would be fine mm-hmm. and um, you can get Giardia cryptosporidium you can get those you know things what? ingest them and I'm gonna put you on the spot Uh-oh. and you're gonna know exactly what I'm talking about okay. there's a super common filter that everybody brings up everybody talks about um, it's the yeah. first filter they get when they starting to get survival and backpacking. Um, and they don't fully advertise, in my opinion, well, the risks right. that come along with viruses. Would you mind putting that name out there just for people's safety? You know, one that I have come across, this has been years ago, so the ones you buy today could definitely be better. But um, when LifeStraw first came out, mm-hmm. they had the lanyard you put around your neck and you, you drink it. Um, be careful with it, guys. Be so careful with the it. The reason we be careful with it is because of how many microns at what micron level can it filter right and if it is not filtering your levels of bacteria if it can't filter down to 0.004 so four one thousandths then it is not going to get all the viruses that could be present there in life straws um, unless they have some higher levels that have come out but that one that i see most people bring to some of our programs is not going to filter those viruses. Yeah, I mean, originally it didn't. Again, yeah. I haven't, I haven't purchased one, and um, it's been, a, it's been a year or so. So maybe they've come out with more. But do your research. That's why it's so important to do your own research on all these tools and products. Um, I think bacteria. I think it's one to ten microns. So you know, um, you want those things to be filtered out before you're putting them into your stomach. Yeah. Um, they cause a lot of problems if you if you ingest them. Yeah, and that really isn't a knock on the company because their product has its use. It does. And a lot of people have, have made use of it. That really, uh, that comment is really meant more as a, as a safety because we care about you um, and enjoying the outdoors. So we have got pretty deep in the science weeds on this. And when we get into these topics, I definitely can do that. Why don't we end with a story, each tell a story here, Ben. And I just want to hear a story um, about your love for streams and how they've really impacted you. If you could think of maybe one one specific one, um, and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah, my my one story is just multiple combined. Honestly, it's okay. it's every time that um, my family would take me to the creek. You know, it was that I don't I, I can't even explain the feeling, but you feel free the moment that you step on that gravel bed, and you just feel free. Um, you know, the cold's coming because that creek is always so chilly. We talked about it earlier, you know, and and I just I remember every time getting there. You, it was a slow process for me. Some of my friends, they would just run and jump. They're, they're the type of pe- personality. It's like, let's just get it over with. Yeah. I was the slow guy. You know, I'd start with the feet up to the knees and then 
uh, you know, go head under. Um, but man, being there, like you talked about, the clear water, there's something about it. I mean, it just it feels so good. Um, but then exploring, not always on land, but exploring under the water, um, snorkeling, just putting on a mask. Don't even need a snorkel, putting on a mask, holding your breath. And going on, you know, you're like four feet deep, yeah. you know, maybe six feet in some of the pockets. But going under and looking under the under the big boulders, flipping rocks, um, just something about that growing up. Uh, I loved it. And then I love to to fish, so I take my little spinning rod and catch smallmouth. You know, the little itty bitty smallmouth. They felt big when I was little. But uh, and then remembering just always having that campfire going, and and whether we'd have roasting hot dogs, marshmallows, sometimes making the full pack meals. You know, putting right. food in it, putting putting that foil pack on the fire and letting it cook. Um, it was, and, and then having all my friends. I I even have pictures of us doing that, and and it's so cool to go back and see those pictures of us, the one big rock out in the middle of the creek. Um, but it's so powerful that there's a lot of country artists that even write songs about the creek. You yeah. know, I mean, the the river, you're the right. creek. Yeah, I mean, it's right. just a good point. it's so um, it's it's a part of who I am. Um, so thankful to have those opportunities and 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 it, at the end of my story i'd love to share if if you haven't been to a creek and you're looking for areas to go reach out i mean there's busick is a great place um yeah you can go just explore and check it out and just you to, know not everybody that listens to this is, is right here where we live but I, I would just like to point out that the ozarks are beautiful uh, if you get a chance to come visit do um we're blessed to live here because there are so many uh rivers and streams and creeks um some that may be even undiscovered. You know, we, we go out and exploring and hiking through areas, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's a creek here. Or I feel like every property that I look for for sale online, everyone I look at, it it has a creek running through the back of it. I mean, there, it feels like there's a million creeks here in the Ozarks, um, and they're all fun to explore, and there's life in all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they say pictures are worth a thousand words. That's a common saying. Ben, you, you're living it. You're living what we're talking about. Um, and I think that's what's what's important about men to be outdoors. And we've lived this our whole life, and, and now we're even living it more now that's at our job. But uh, you took your kids and your family down to the creek this weekend, and, and you, you came back and you were showing me pictures. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you guys caught some crawfish, and you boiled them up. Um, and, and your daughter had her, her finished Lunchable tray. And yeah. she had her, had her boiled red crawfish on that tray. And... Your daughter thinks she's, I mean, she thinks she's a real-life princess. Well, she is, right. So to see, she is, you're right. So to see this this little princess uh-huh. at the creek holding a tray full of boiled crawfish and the smile on her face, um, the, the smile says it all. There's mm-hmm. nothing more to be said. And, and it's real, it's genuine, um, and we need to be doing that with our kids. People did it with us. We're doing it now um, as a career. And, and it, it's special. We want to do it with our families. We want to encourage you to go do it with your families. Um, you know, as as a child, I can remember days um, and down at Cloud Nine Ranch, the cold, cold streams, just diving all day long, skipping lunch and just catching crawdad after crawdad after crawdad, not even keeping them, just catching them, see who could get the biggest one. So cold that I'm coming up on a July day shivering. But what I love the most was when your head hit that pillow at night, you were ready to sleep. You were. But you weren't coming out of that stream because you were just having so much fun. There's, it was just enamoring. There is life and an adventure under every rock, every turn, every log, and, and it never gets old. And you know it what? probably the, never will. One, I keep going back now. You're, you're sending me back to all of them. But, you hopefully know, hopefully if the, you're listening to this, you're, you're reminiscing a little bit. You know, some of the, one of my favorite stories is, is this rock skipping challenges that we would have. 
you know, I didn't even think about it. I we're talking about life here. I'm, yeah. We're talking about biotic, but even on the abiotic <laughs> side, finding a just a the best skipping rock first. You got to find that. You got to oh, find I your, your flat, right, a little bit of weight. You. No, you can't be. No way. <laughs> but just it's having on, that competition, learning how to skip a rock across the creek. Um, man, that's just fun. That's Something just funny <laughs> on the rock skipping one. I'll tell this, and then we'll wrap up. So my son uh, Hayes, he's he's three. He'll be four this summer, but. Ben, I think actually Bodie, your son, taught him to skip when we went backpacking. And I didn't even know that. I don't think either of us knew that. <laughs> no, he came we didn't. back and he was yeah. he skipped a few rocks over at the pond here. And I thought, well, where, where did you learn to do that? And he well, Bodie taught me. Well, just the other night, we're over at the pond. He picks up a little rock and he says, Ooh, Daddy, got a skipping rock. And I said, Yeah, awesome. So he takes it and he throws it and it doesn't skip. It just pops right <laughs> in. He looks at me and goes, that one wasn't a skipping rock. <laughs> yeah. so if it doesn't skip, right. it ain't a skipping that, rock. That's it the best way to test it. Yeah, yeah. If it don't skip, it ain't one. Yeah. And that, you know what? That's a cool part about the creek is it's so clear. Yeah. Some of my best skipping rocks, I'd go dive and get them again. You know what I mean? You got to have, once you skip it, if it skips, go get it. Go, go find, find it. it. If you got a good one, that's, that's right. good. Well, probably about time that we wrap it up. You know, I, I would really like to leave you guys with um, just some encouragement. If it's been a while, it's been a few years or decades, um, whether you're 15 years old and you're listening to this or you're 70 years old and you're listening to this, it's summer. Go find some time. Find a creek where you're at. It could be urban. It could be way out in the country on a farm that you own. Go spend some quiet time in nature and with your family and friends and the creator at the creek. I know we'll be out this week doing the same, and we'll be back on Monday with a new episode of Myth Mondays. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.